0: Today we are at the penultimate session of our series on uh, releasing the power for restful increase. We started it very early July and this is the 8th session, it's supposed to be 9 sessions. This is the 8th session and uh, part of our anniversary celebrations next Sunday we will round it up with the very final topic. I believe that God has a purpose for putting these topics together. Um, even though I've been privileged to know about them before I release them to the church and we follow them, when we are going through them, it's as if somebody else, you know, actually put them together. I I don't ever see myself as the person who could think it up. And that surely, for me, means that God himself is the one who inspires it. At times, the logic and the way they come together used to baffle me, and I'm wondering that how does God just expressly speak to us so clearly in these terms. So we have been looking at it, and uh, if I can have the banner up, please. Um, we have been using this banner for a few weeks now. It's where we're at, and today we are on godly companionship, and, uh, to, and uh, last week will be the last topic, as I said, on godly increase. But you see, the truth of the matter is that this godly companionship builds on the last few sessions. If you have godly perspectives, as I said last week, if you have godly perspectives, you will always speak like God. When you can see like God, you will speak like God. You will be confident in God. When David was looking at Goliath and he was saying today, I will bring down your head, he saw what God saw. He saw that God had already seen that Goliath was a dead man already. But everybody else who was natural and carnal around him could not see the same. So you would always be confident like God, you would always be able to declare bold declarations like God. And then last week we said you will also have the confidence to take timely steps. Because when you see what God sees and you declare what he's declaring and what he's asking you to declare, and then anything he asks you to do, you are able to do. Again looking at David the Bible says after he said he was he said to the Goliath I come to you in the name of the Lord God of the armies of Israel and the Lord God of hosts of the armies of whom you have defiled this day the Bible says and then he took steps he took steps and he rushed towards the giant he took steps and he rushed towards the giants because we must also take timely actions. Peradventure, if after saying all that he didn't take steps, then maybe he would have uh, 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 the, the advantage. The, the enemy could have still taken advantage. But all that helps us to understand what we need to do as individuals responsibly. But what I want to say today is that as we look at the topic of godly companionship, we come to a a slightly more advanced phase. One that we take for granted. We know about it, but we take it for granted. The godly companionship is as a result of man's need for what I would call interdependence. You won't find it like that in the Bible. But you see, interdependence is basically what God put in place so that man can depend on him and depend on people. Even the, the, the natural saying that no man is an island holds A lot of truth. I'm not saying it's a valid, complete truth, because only the word of God, anything you find in the word of God is the absolute truth. But you see, the the reality is that no man is truly an island. Everybody needs God and needs other people. So when you are running this race, part of the rest you need in life, you can be a very bold declarer, you can be a very... Uh, You can be very good with taking timely actions and doing things, but you need God and you need people if you are going to take delivery of certain things in life. There are certain things that no matter your anointing, no matter your grace, you cannot do by yourself. Some things you can do by yourself. I'm sure you can brush your teeth by yourself. I'm hoping you can. Yes, you can do that by yourself. But there are certain things you can't just do by yourself, no matter how educated, how strong, how powerful you may be. Praise the Lord. And so we need to understand this need for godly companionship. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, I'll start from there. Uh, and I always say that most of the time, if you really understand Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, in fact you have understood a lot about God. And Genesis 1 26, where God made man, the Bible says, let us read together, then God said, let us make man In our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over everything creeping that creeps on the earth. So God said we want to make this man in our image and after our likeness. This translation says according to our likeness. This means that they will continue to have affinity to us. They will have to depend on us. This man will have to depend on us. When I say us now, talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He said they will have to depend on us. They will be in our image, but they will have to look up to us. That is why before man fell, God was coming down to the garden in the cool of the day to have fellowship with man because he knows that man needs that fellowship for existence. Man needs that continuous visitation by him so that he can fulfill what he's got to fulfill. But if you put the verse back up, the Bible says, and He said, let them have dominion. So they will have some interactions on the earth we have put them on. And that interaction will mean that they will have dominion over fish, over birds, over cattle, over, over all the earth. Because those things that they need to have dominion over will have to feed them naturally, will have to help them exist here naturally. Praise the Lord. So there is a system of interdependence that God put in place right from the time man was created. And if we don't understand this and know how to wisely engage with God in this agenda of godly companionships, which he put in place, I define godly companionship as what God puts in place to help us fulfill the spiritual, physical, emotional aspects of interdependence that we need to fulfill in life. Spiritual unto God, emotional and physical in terms of how we relate with one another. And I will be quickly taking us through a few areas of godly companionship that will help us to understand this better. Everybody needs somebody. Many people say the president of the American state, the United States of America, is the most powerful politician on earth. Some would arguably say the most powerful person on earth. But the reality is that if you have ever been in that office or you have ever been following, I am a student, I like studying American president history. I took that up as a little child when I lived in the States uh, for a few years of my early life. I took a lot of interest in it. So I've studied almost all American presidents from their independence till date extensive study, I look at their lives, look at their wives, look at their fallings, look at where they are, till the current president. It's a country that I believe that nobody, you can't just become a president there, regardless of what people think. You can't just become a president there. The history is heavy. And um, I see that despite the power that is invested in that office, it is such an office that can so easily be uh, at the whims and caprices of the people they govern. We're all following the, the trends now when the, the elections that are being planned for, for later on in the year. And we all know that a lot, I'm just, it's not a digression, I just want to consolidate on what I'm talking about. We all know that the two parties have virtually brought out their candidates now. But you can see a change In the atmosphere, in terms of the rhetoric and the talk, even by the president himself, because he knows that he needs people to retain that office, as powerful as he was. He's a man I respect. I don't care about what people say. I respect him because he respects the things that God likes. That's good enough for me. But you know, the truth of the matter is that as powerful as he is, as powerful as the contestants may be with their history, they need the people to vote for them because you don't just become the president without the people backing you up. So you need people as much as they need you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I use that extreme example because you see, even a person that the world calls powerful is so dependent on people, then we must all understand that this principle of interdependence is something we should not joke with. Say with me, I need God. God. And then look to your neighbor to the left and say, I need you. you. Look to the one to the right, say, "I I need you. If they are your spouse, say, oh, I need you badly and seriously. Say, I need you seriously. Not badly, seriously, seriously. Because if you have them badly, something else can happen. <laughs> so you need them seriously. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. It has to be based on agreement. Companionship to work has to be based on agreement. There must be something we agree about. And again, as I look at different categories of companionship, godly companionship, we will see how agreement is key. Amos 3 3, very famous for us in understanding the power of agreement he said can two walk together except they be agreed can two walk together unless they are agreed it is impossible so we must see that there is a need for agreement and godly companionship builds on the agreement that is there by god for us to walk around so in god in us relating with god we need to understand what we what the agreement is in relating with other people, with uh, different kinds of other people or categories of people, we need to know. Godliness in every case must prevail. Godliness must be what runs our companionships. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So if you are in a companionship, you must come to the place where you allow godliness to rule. This is very important because if you don't allow godliness to rule, what the Bible warns us against is that evil will prevail. Evil will triumph. So whatever the relationships and the companionships we have, we must make sure that godliness triumphs every time. I want to quickly tell us five types of godly companionships that we all must have and their significance for our restful increase. Number one is companionship with the Holy Spirit. Companionship with the Holy Spirit or companionship with God. We relate with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit. This is put in place by God primarily for guidance and inspiration. Every one person who wants to have a walk with God must understand this godly companionship with the Holy Spirit. Many believers have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, which is fine, but are not developing their relationship with the Holy Spirit. So they are finding the journey of Christianity very hard and tough. And you need to know your status. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he said, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. When you are joined to God, when you say you've come to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you have become one spirit with God. And when you are one spirit with God, that means that you can hear from God. That means you can relate with God. That means you can be part of of God. You can enjoy a communion with him all the time. When Jesus was about to leave his disciples, he said to them, I will be leaving you very shortly. But I will pray to my father and he will send you the Holy Spirit. This is John chapter 14 from verse 25 to 26. He said, these things I have spoken to you, 25. These things I have spoken to you whilst being present with you. Then, verse 26. He said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. Somebody say, He will teach me. All things. All things. Now, at times, you see, we read these things in Scripture and we don't really think about it. All things simply means all things. So have you ever been stuck? Have you ever had a lack of ideas? Have you ever had a point where you really don't know what to do? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he will teach you all things. That's the first thing. And then the Bible says he will bring to your remembrance. Somebody say he will bring to my remembrance. All things that Jesus said to me. That is to say everything contained in the word of God. As you study it. As you meditate on it, the Holy Spirit will be bringing it to your remembrance from time to time. Every time you want to take a step and you are coming to the place of confusion, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is to teach you what you need to know about it and also to bring you to a place of remembrance in the things that he has said. This is such a vital aspect of the Christian journey that if a believer does not have it, They will make heaven, but I will say they will just stumble into heaven. They will find themselves on a daily basis just rocking it through, holding on tight, and then one day coming to the place where it is full rest. But that's not God's will for them. It's not God's will for you. It's not God's will for me. He wants us to be able to hear him. He said, and you shall hear the voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He wants you and I to build a relationship with him, whereby we are totally dependent on him teaching us all things. In everything that you do, listen, friends, I'm a consulting engineer, as all of you, most of you would know. And uh, one of the reasons why I chose consulting is the thrill, the thrill. There is no routine with consulting. I mean, you can have similar things, but every project, every challenge pulls out some kind of energy from you. It pulls you into a place where you have to think. Because it's never the same way. It has a, presents a unique set of problems that you need to address. You may be comfortable with 60, 70 percent, 80 percent of it, but at times, you may not be comfortable with more than 10 percent because it's such a problem that you've not seen before. And we try to, this is I consult in, in, in the civil, structural engineering areas and parts of project management. And what I find is that The Holy Spirit even teaches in those times. Believe me. The Holy Spirit teaches. Of course, I study like any engineer should. I work hard. I try to improve myself. Learn the latest tools and techniques and all that. We do that. You have to do that. But believe me, if you can... The day I read from scripture that a man called Noah built a structure that was called the ark. And I never found anything in his history that he went to a school... I said, this man must have been taught by the Holy Spirit what it will look like. And it must have been taught by the Holy Spirit to understand those measurements that God was talking about in cubits. And, and how the shape would be. And how he will put a window somewhere. And all those things. And he built it to specs. That was the day I knew that the Holy Spirit can teach everything. Hallelujah. So many of us make light of the Holy Spirit. I was, I was working with a church. One of our big churches down in, in London about 10 years ago, and I was consulting for them on their new facility. Very challenging thing they wanted to do. To to pull down, to to take a structure that existed and pull down everything inside, maintain the footprint, but create a large hall inside. Very challenging. Imagine like doing, taking out this floor and just making it into one large floor from ground floor up. but a very vast expanse. And it was very challenging. And I remember driving back, and they were, depending on me, it had to happen in about four months. And I remember driving back four hours from the, 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 the meeting, because it's down in Dartford, Kent. And I was saying, Lord, you have to help me in this. These people think I know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> because in the meeting, they will say, "We're well, sure, Dr. David knows what we'll do about it. I'll just nod and say, yeah. <laughs> and as they're asking, I'm saying, Lord, you have to help me here. Because they believe that I know it's like your son, your your little boy, telling you, Dad, I'm sure you can handle that. You know, even if you can't handle it, you have to put up a bold face and say, Yeah, son, don't worry. <laughs> so I said, Lord, you have to help me here. And I didn't hear anything on the way back. But I was just singing and listening to messages. And then I got home. It was around about 10 p.m. at night. And then I went to bed. I was very tired, having driven, and they were doing a lot of work on the M25 then, so it was very slow getting back. Anyway, I got back very tired, and I went to my bed, and I slept. Round about midnight, it was a tap on my shoulder, physical tap, said, wake up now. And I stood up, sat by the edge of my bed, where I normally sit to meditate. Some of you sit there, and you are thinking about your problem. Don't be sitting there and think about problem. When you sit at the edge of the bed, it's a very powerful place to hear God. Don't listen to the devil. Many people listen to the devil much more. They put their feet down and they start to think, oh, I have to do this, pay this bill, pay that. That is the devil. Sit down and hear God. Praise the Lord. That's for you, free of charge. (laughs) As I sat down there, he said, now take a piece of, take the drawing, bring out the drawing they gave to you and pick a pencil. Just as I'm talking to you, I'm hearing clearly, I picked it up. He said, now, this is how you will frame it. Say, so put the first beam here. It will be 15 meters. It will span, it will be the central spine. I say, yes, sir. I put it there. Say so all the other beams will offset from it. Then design a new system that will hold that beam because all the weight of the structure will come on it. It was like a light from heaven. And as I put it one time, I went to the computers in the morning, checked it, everything worked perfectly, which hardly happens. Most of the time, you will work it and try again and work it. Put it in one time. I rang the architects. I said, we've got it in the morning. I was so excited. I said, we've got it. They say, how? When I sent them the sketch, they couldn't believe it. Holy Spirit. I've been practicing engineering many years, but the reality is that that's not experience. That's inspiration. Inspiration. You have something to do in your work. Depend on him. He will teach you all things, not just Bible. All things. How to be a good parent. All things. How to be a good husband, a good wife. All things. How to be a good teacher. All things. How to be a good student. All things. So we need to develop this companionship where we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us every time. Number two, spousal companionship. This is the relationship God put in place between a man and his wife for help. Somebody say for help, for comfort, and for multiplication. Genesis chapter 2, we know that story very well when God created man in verse 18. The Bible says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And verse 24 goes straight. He said, for this reason, after he created the wife for him, he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife And they shall become one flesh. This is our biblical definition of marriage. And I know that our world has made many bold attempts to redefine marriage. And whilst we don't argue with whatever anybody says. What we do and believe is what the Bible says. The Bible says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. And be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Verse 25. And they were both naked the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Verse 25 is so important. Don't think about verse 25 as just the physical nakedness, which they truly were. But it talks about them being one, walking together, and shame not being there at all. This spousal companionship is set up by God to make sure that it becomes impossible for two people who have become one to see shame. The devil knows that, and that's why he tries to confuse their language and make it difficult for them to walk to the optimum of that. We must value our spousal companionships. The Bible says, I will make for him. Go back to verse 18, please. It said, I will make for him. A helper. Verse 18. I will make him a helper. I will make him a helper. Predominantly, this is referring to the wife being a helper to the man. But the truth is that they help each other. They help each other. You need to look at each other's weaknesses and help each other because your weakness is her strength. Your strength is your, your strength is her weakness. When you pull it all together, weakness is vanish. Strengths come together. And most couples don't know this. They use their weaknesses to fight each other. say, why do you always do this? Why do you always, why do you always, why do you always, why can't you wake up in time? I would like to wake up in time. So don't argue about it. If you wake up faster than the other person, then you'll be the alarm for everybody to wake up. (laughs) It's simple. It's not rocket science. It's not. Just you'll be the alarm. Don't, don't fight about it. Yeah. After all, there are some things he or she can do and you cannot do. Think about it. There are some things you can do. At least, I know if you are talking to your wife, you can. there's no way. Even if you say you understand what is happening when she's carrying a baby, you cannot carry a baby and you cannot give birth to one. So you have to respect her for that, at least. Praise the Lord. I used to have a boss. He told me his story when he was, his, his, his wife was about to put to bed many years ago now first child, and he was in the labor room with her. And when they told the the, the lady to push, they said, push. He said he didn't know when he's the man. Now he said he didn't know when he started going, he said, the wife said, if I slap your face. (laughs) You have no idea what is happening here. So the man, the man kept quiet. I I, I stayed with my wife, Just the first one I I couldn't because I I, I just could not then. I was indisposed. But my children, I was always there when they were born. And it was very interesting. One moment she's saying, hold my hand, I'm holding her hand, and I forget to look. The next moment she said, why are you holding my hand? (laughs) When the eyes have changed, I didn't see, I should have let go of the hand. She said, leave me alone. But when the baby comes out, we all celebrate. We help each other. We should help each other. Friends, whatever your state is with your spouse, if you are married, please value this relationship. It is an uncommon thing. God made it happen. And don't say, why is my own like this? Your marriage, God told me before I got married, God said to me, he said, there is no marriage made in heaven. Wise couples only work with me to make a heaven of their marriage. If you walk together and you walk with God, it becomes a paradise for you. And God will make your marriage good in Jesus' name. God wants you to use it to help one another, to comfort one another. You comfort one another physically, you comfort one another emotionally. Where you are getting all the hard knocks at work and everybody is dumping the things and accusing you of everything. That place you go back to should be your place of refuge So couples walk together, wait for the person. You know what? When when I I just got married, I didn't understand this thing. When my wife comes back and she has things and she wants to discuss things, I used to think if I bring out my own problem, she will see that it's a small problem. She has a small problem compared to mine, and she'll be encouraged. But then the moment I bring out my own problem, it will be like, are you not listening to me? So I learned later on to listen to her. I keep whatever were my own challenges for the day. Listen to her first. And I let her go and let her go about it. Let her go. And then I encourage her. I encourage her. And then if space permits later on, I bring out whatever it is I face. Hallelujah. Just give preference to one another. And she does that for me as well. Give preference to one another. Work together. We comfort each other emotionally. We comfort each other physically. Just the time to hug, the time to touch. You can't hug everybody. You can't, you can't be close to everybody in, physical, uh, in the physical space. So, but this, your spouse, is God-given. You have every right, every time to enjoy that and make the most of it. Many times, couples are drawn apart because they haven't really physically been in touch for a long time. And so they grow apart. And they don't know the value of these things. And you just have to make it happen. You have to make it happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you make it happen, it gives you rest. It helps you to enjoy rest in certain places and certain cases. And also, of course, for multiplication. Procreation is made possible by the marital companionship. Let us make the most of it. Children can be born by any man or any woman. But children born by a man and his wife in all probability have a better chance of facing life more squarely because they are born into a relationship that is wholesome and completely sanctified. Now I know that children are a gift from the Lord and it really doesn't matter in in a way, but it is better that couples understand that God's desire is that they procreate in the place where there is total reverence. There are many scriptures we can use for, for spousal companionship, but I just want to remind you this, that what God said is that he will make you a helper. If you are not yet married, or you are seeking to remarry, or you are seeking to marry, I want you to pray that God will send you your own helper. Amen. That God will give you your own help. You need it. You need it. You need help. The world is a vicious place. You get all kinds of things. And you, you, that place you go back to must be a place where you can, you can completely let go and just say, Look, I, I, I just find solace in your hands. I know that you are there by God, put there by God to help me. This is very important. And love your wife, love your husband, respect them. However you respect your spouse is the respect that people will give to them. If you speak about your spouse and treat your spouse anyhow, you put everybody, you give everybody the license to do so. You can say anything about my wife anywhere. I don't have a problem with you. But don't. God help you to come and bring it to my presence. <laughs> you won't do that again. You won't. And this has been my life for many years. Because she's mine. I'm hers. We've got to treat each other with value. You see, what most people don't know is that a lot of people say, I've heard people say things like, you know, I like, I like, I would have related better with you, but I can't relate with your spouse. I've heard things like that. Even said to me. And I said to the person, you know what? It is me that you don't want to relate with. Because if you want to relate with me, We come as a package. (laughs) We have one package. There's nothing you can do about that. (laughs) This woman, you see, 30 years, we've been going, almost 30 years, 28 years this year. We've been friends. You can't do anything about that. You better like her or forget it. And if you meet her, it's the same thing. But people let people come and say things to them. I told her, put your mind at rest. Anybody that says they don't like me because of you never liked me, they never liked me. And that's the truth. I'm not saying that spouses should take that for granted and behave anyhow because they must love you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that if you let people, they will split you and they will cause you to have problems. Hold each other dearly. Because most times, the people who are talking against your marriage and against your relationship were not there when you were starting it and when you were facing some issues that none of them knew anything about. So continue to hold each other. Spousal companionships. Uh, helpful and let us value them. Very quickly, number three: family companionships. Just a step beyond the spousal. This is put in place by God for nurturing and productive growth. I'm talking about family now: man, wife, children. Man, wife, children. Many of us do not understand that God has made provision for families for a specific purpose. Isaiah 8:18. 8, he said, Here am I, and the children. Whom the Lord has given me, we are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Somebody say we are for signs and wonders. Say we are for signs and wonders. Every one plan of God is for the genealogies of people to have a trace from generation to generation of his reverence, of his power. That's why the Bible will talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. It's very important. Even Jesus' is Christ, even Jesus' is genealogy was described by family because of the importance of family. He said, we are for signs and for wonders. What God wants to see is more godly families. More people who invest in making godly families happen. Godly families and good families don't just drop from the sky. They are worked up. They are labored to produce. A serious man and a serious woman who is his wife will work together to make it happen. They will will nurture children in the things of God they will labor to improve themselves so that they can give the children a good environment to grow spiritually, physically, materially, financially. Ephesians 6.1 now puts a responsibility on the children. He said, children, in that relationship, in that companionship, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Verse 2 says... Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And verse 3 says that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. This is a very important thing in our day and age. Friends, we are young people now who are very clever, who are very smart. And in many cases, the regard for parents is dwindling. The regards for parents is flickering away on a continuous basis. The church of God must pull things back in order. Go back to verse 1. Please, it says, in the Lord. So parents, you have a responsibility to be in the Lord. We don't demand that children follow our bad ways. We don't demand that children follow the things that are not in the Lord. So we must make effort to make sure that we are mentoring in the Lord. For this is right, the Bible says. So children have a mandate and a responsibility to honor their parents. Because the Bible says it is the right thing to do. But parents must realize that being in the Lord is a big responsibility. And in verse 4, go to verse 4. Verse 4. The Bible says and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the lord provoking children to wrath doesn't just mean that you are being abusive of course you shouldn't do that but do you know at times how we provoke children to wrath our generation do not understand that young people have no one to look at except us they're always looking at the parents they're always looking at the parents. At times, if you see some of the youngsters we have, even in the church now, I saw one walking away the other day. It was like a mini version of his father from the back. And I said, God, you are so wonderful. The young man walked like that, and I looked at him from behind, he was going out through those doors, and I could see his father in a very small frame. <laughs> it's so powerful. They walk like us, they talk like us. We are their first superheroes. We are their first, you know, point of contact. They are the persons that they relate. You are the person that they relate to first. So you must develop yourself in the Lord and model the things in the Lord. And when we say model in the Lord and not provoking them, what we are saying is that let them see that you don't have a double life. One of the things that provoke young people and don't want to make them follow the ways of God now is that they see parents live double lives. Very different from what they live at home, very different from what they see them live in church and when they meet other Christians. And that's not the will of God. Be that person that shows your children that all you need is integrity, one word, one life, togetherness. Integrity means whole, oneness. So the way they see you at home is the way they see you at church, no different. The way they see you at home is the way they see you relate with your friends if you are in socials, no different. If you are with some friends and they see you talking and and drinking and behaving and partying as if the world is, you know, is collapsing tomorrow, and then they see you at home, you know, just being very disrespectful to your spouse and just doing things and using foul language, watching everything and cursing, and then the pastor calls or somebody calls from the church, and they say, oh, bless you. It provokes them. (laughs) It provokes them. It, It confuses them. Then it provokes them. And some children have actually rebelled. I have seen growing up some of my mates who rebelled. We were brought up in church. We were loved by our parents. As as far as I could see, we were brought up in church. We saw our parents as church leaders, elders, pastors. We were all brought up like that. But some of them resented Christianity because they could not just move away from that sheer hypocrisy that was demonstrated by their parents. They saw their parents as different people when it came to church, but they could not see the same thing at home, and it really affected them. And so we must understand, some of us are grateful. My father was, he a what you see is what you get. He was just like that. No, nothing to hide, nothing to hide whatsoever. And that really helped me to see that that is how one should live life. So we must understand, to make these family companionships work, we have responsibility. Friends, if you bring up your children in the way of the Lord, a time comes, they start to become your counselors. The same children you were teaching the Word of God today. I have children today, I thank God for them. There are some of them now, for all of them, there are certain things now that I don't do. I can't just do it without consulting them. I will ask for their opinion. They are my children, thank God for them, they are still growing, but you know something? They have come to a place where they have now started to become my advisor. That's how I became to my father as a point. But the Bible makes us to understand this. Psalm 127, verse 1 is what I'm talking about. He said, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Verse 4, verse 3, sorry, verse 4 now. He said, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And verse 5. He said, happy is the man. Happy is the man, verse 5. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. I say you will not be ashamed. In the name of Jesus. He said, but they shall speak with their enemies at the gate. Hallelujah. But before they get to that stage, it takes a lot of nurturing. It takes a lot of modeling. It takes a lot of hard work. I was looking at Reverend Kenneth Hagin Jr., He's in his 70s now. Yeah, he's in his late 70s now. I was just trying to calculate whether he's 80 yet, but I'm sure he's way over 70 now because I know he's way older than Franklin Graham Jr. Well, you know, Reverend Kenneth Hagin Jr., obviously, the father is Kenneth E. Hagin, who's a popular faith preacher who went to be with the Lord in 2003, I guess, if I remember correctly. And I was just watching and in rapt attention, I said, Lord, it is so good to see so much passion. He was preaching passionately at that age, running across the stage. You remember his dad used to do that. He just takes off and starts laughing. He was a very charismatic man. And I saw the same thing replicated in this son. I have not listened to Craig for some time. They are, they are Kenneth E. Hagen's grandson, Kenneth Higgins, W. Hagen's son now. I haven't listened to him in a long time, but Craig is a little bit older than me. Craig should be in his late 50s uh, now, as it were, because I remember I followed them a lot in the 80s. My old, late elder brother used to get the magazines and I used to follow the family. But, you know, it's so, so rich. I listen to people like Joel Osteen today, and I'm, I said, Lord, it's so important. John Osteen has been dead now, gone to be with the Lord now since 1999. 1999, and here you have this young, one of his five children pick up the ministry, takes it to a higher level altogether. That young man, Joel Osteen, recorded for him for 17 years, 17 years, recording videos like this, putting the suits on him to make sure, he used to say that he makes sure his father looks good on a Sunday. Today, the whole world knows him as a charismatic preacher leading a, a, a great movement out there in Houston, Texas. It is beautiful. I'm not saying every preacher must produce preachers, but there is something about legacy. There is something about legacy that God wants through family uh, companionships. And we must make sure right before our eyes, we start to see our young people come into form. And then we start to see our grandchildren come into form in the mighty name of Jesus. Let us take our family companionships very seriously because God is the one who ordained it and uh, let us understand the responsibilities thereof. If there is any family today where there is a pain, where a child seems to be off course and it looks as if things are not going well, I want you to be rest assured that God's plans are for good and not of evil. Keep depending on him, put that child before the Lord on a daily basis and God will do a work of restoration in Jesus' name. I was, it was uh, Benny Hinn that said something that I never forgot. He said, "You just keep praying." He said, when, even when there was a time his daughter was just she was just everywhere. So she, one day she, they would say she found, they found her in the club. Benny Hinn's daughter. They found her in the club. This one they found her there. And so one day he put on his leather jackets and everything and jeans and went to the same club that <laughs> she was. <laughs> the girl was shocked when he saw her there. He said, "What are you doing here?" He said, oh, "I came to <laughs> I came to party as well." <laughs> Just to, just to make that child know that, you know what, I have the love of the father for you. And he said that really touched his daughter. Like he knows that he doesn't believe in those things, he doesn't do those things, but that he could put on those kind of clothes and come to where she was. And I think God used that experience, if I remember the story correctly, to touch her. And he said to, he said to us in that, in that sharing, This was, I heard this but. 15 years ago, he said, whatever you see in those young people, you just keep praying and stand on the word of God. That is just a matter of time that everything God has promised will come to pass. I say it will come to pass in the name of Jesus. I am grateful to God for my family. I'm grateful to God for my biological children. I want to thank God for their lives. I thank God for them standing up to face challenges of ministry and the many things that life entails. And I'm still praying that God will be raising young people like that. That God will help our young people to see that there is more that we can do for this God. And the Lord will be glorified in Jesus' name. Number four, Christ-centered or Christian companionship. This talks about us as brethren. I can preach this one till till Christmas. (laughs) But I will take my time to just quickly go through it now. Talking about Christian fellowship companionship. This is put in place by God for three things. Somebody say compatriotism. I know it looks like a big word. It just means that we are compatriots, which means we believe the same thing. Somebody say for camaraderie. That means we are comrades. We are comrades camaraderie simply means that we are against the same thing. We are anti the same thing. We are anti and we are only anti-devil. Every church has only one enemy and it is anti-devil. And then thirdly obviously for companionship. Somebody say companionship. This means for peer support. Encouraging one another. The Bible says when we come together we have fellowship and somebody has a psalm. Somebody has an encouragement. It says let all things be done to the glory of God. In our Bible reading today, we read from Acts chapter four all the way from verse 23 to verse 31, those of you who are watching online. But the truth is that what happened to these people here is an example of how powerful fellowship is. They put them in prison at a point for preaching the gospel, and the Bible says in verse 23, thank you, it said, and being let go, they went to who? Their own companions. Tell your neighbor for me, you are my companion. Are are you afraid? Say, you are my companion in the things of God. We support each other. Those people, when they were let go, they went to their own companion and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Verse 24 said, So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. With unity, they raised their voice to God. They say, you are the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And at the end of that verse, in verse 31, we were told that when they had prayed, everywhere they were, were assembled together, were shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness so that they can stand what was being put against them. Friends, I want us to understand that the coming together of Christians is very key. In the body of Christ today, the devil knows very well that the only way he can limit a church is to bring disunity among people. And the only way he can limit the body of Christ is to keep making sure that we don't walk together as one. That's why if you notice in this place, most Sundays, we not only pray for our church, we pray for every living church. Because we are in the same battle Every true church is in the same battle. We are not competing. We're not. We are not competing against each other at all. We are working together. What we are only what we only are. You know what you know what military people call infantries? Yeah, you know what they call infantries? Or brigades. You know, where they have a cluster of people in a certain place for a certain that's all we are as denominations. We are the same army serving the same kingdom. Hallelujah. And then within that kingdom, we must understand the devil knew from the Tower of Babel just by looking at God. You know, we think the devil knows everything, but many things he learns even by just looking at God. When he saw how God confused the language of people and they could no longer build a tower, that was good enough for him. He now saw that this is the only way you can keep dismantling people. Keep giving them many languages. Keep giving them many languages. So he uses the same strategy today. So we find that in the same church, there are people who don't talk to each other. There are people who find it difficult to get along with other people. We must not be allowing these things because the Christ-centered companionship is a place where God wants us to speak with one language as compatriots, people who believe truly that Jesus is the Son of God, and as comrades, people who believe that the enemy of Jesus Christ and the enemy of God is Satan, and is our own enemy as well. People who believe that. And people who believe that we are together interdependent so that we can build one another up. It is very important that we remain of one language. Let us keep being of one language because it is God's intention. What God wants from you and I is to understand that when our languages seem to be different, we humble ourselves and come to a place where we speak to one another and we make sure that we build a common language again. Too many Christians today... Have been frustrated by church life, too many. I've always told you my story: being born in church, five decades of my life spent church almost every Sunday, every time, different continents of this world. I can tell you, it's the same problem everywhere. I've seen people over the years who were firebrand at a point, but are no longer serving God today. I've seen people who have been frustrated completely and have even degenerated to where they, beyond where they were before they got born again. It can be horrible. We need to help each other to make sure that we stop the fallings, to stop, to stop the hatred, to stop the bitterness. Why must you be the problem in a church? Ask yourself. Why must I be the problem? Why must everything, when they talk about something, it turns and turns. By the time you trace the story, trace the story, trace the story, your your name will have to be inside. Why must it be so? We need to make sure that we work hard, that we don't have such legacies. Let it be that when they speak of a person, they, they say, oh, left to that man, left to that woman, oh, it's a blessing. When your pastor, I'm not talking about myself now. I'm just talking about, you know, church life. When your pastor remembers you, let it be that the first thing that comes out of his face is a smile. Not, oh, no, not that person again. (laughs) And you, pastor, let it be that when your people remember you, they remember you that you are a person who truly shows love, who truly is demonstrating that you are in it to serve them, not to get from them. Not to keep collecting from them. (laughs) Pastors don't like me saying that, but that's the truth. You don't have to. You've got to live this life to show that we are together. Listen, the role of a pastor is not a role of a tyrant. The role of a pastor is to be a coordinator of gifts. In a few weeks' time, we're launching a brand new series of embracing ministry gifts for restful increase. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. By the grace of God, two Sundays from now, we will take all the key ministries of the church life and look at them over eight weeks. Not just the fivefold, some of those that we don't also talk about. And look at them and see what they really are and what God wants us to do with them. Let us work together. I have always said, I am not better than you, you are not better than me, we are all servants. If you do what you are doing, you are not doing it for me. I am doing what I am doing, I am not doing it for you per se. I do it unto the Lord to serve you. Do what God says you should do unto the Lord to serve the body. Let us continue to do that and then we will find that it becomes more difficult for the devil to speak evil of us. And we will continue to succeed. In the name of Jesus. I want this church to be a church that is truly living by its core values. We have five core values in this church. To love God and love one another, number one. Then number two, to serve God with every God-given ability that he has put in us. Number three, to always act in faith. Even as God commands us to do. Number three, number four, to always act in the spirit of excellence as commanded by God. And then number five, to put our trust in God and to trust one another to do the work. Let us continue to live in the fullness of this and God will help us. Finally, today, I want to talk about fraternal companionships. Fraternal companionships. These are companionships that Just relate to friends and associates. At times they can be part of church, but many times they may not be. They just relate to associations. And I want us to know the importance of this. I use the story of Daniel in Daniel 2. The Bible says when the king asked for his dream to be interpreted, Daniel went in, verse 16, and asked the king to give him time. ...that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then verse 17, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His what? Companions. His companions. Now, we know that these are God-fearing Jews. But I want us to understand that this applies in every context when God connects you to people. There are certain companions you must have in the business world that may not be believers... They may not be Christians, they may not be God-fearing people, but there is a common cause to deliver a business, to deliver something, and they have the skill sets that you need to consult. Believers have missed this many times because they say, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's a very twisted scripture. Unequal yoke only refers to marriage and your relationship as far as God is concerned. So I don't relate, in the name of relating with anybody, I don't relate with an atheist and say that, okay, because we are relating, I can be an atheist, and no, 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 that's um, that's an unequal yoke, because our belief systems do not permit that. And that's fine, I don't hate them, but I cannot relate with them for that kind of a relationship to change convictions of belief. My core belief remains what it is. But if an atheist is the one that has the skill set for the next business opportunity I have, even though he has no regard for God, but he knows about programming, he knows about things that are, that are helpful to my cause, I can relate with him for the purpose of that business. And if peradventure, that relationship can allow my light to shine towards him, beautiful, that's fine. But for the purpose of delivering that business, that is not an unequal yoke. Many believers have used this scripture. Okay? Now, don't say because of that. That means, ah, what pastor say is very good, though. I like what Pastor said. That means I cannot marry anybody and, you know, no. When it comes to marriage, there is a yoke involved. Then it becomes unequal if that person does not share the value of God that you have with you. So very importantly, unequal yoke only relates to spiritual covenants of which marriage is a part of. Spiritual covenants of which marriage is a part of. Natural covenants can involve any two people whatsoever. What I mean by natural covenants are natural contracts and so on. So we must be very careful to make sure. There are some companions we need to go to. The Bible says when he went to this, his companion, the, the, in verse 19, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision because his companions prayed with him. Now, your companions may be Christians. If they are not Christians, they bring something that allows you to also access the secret. So, at times, the Holy Spirit will speak to you directly, but at times, he will use a person. The man that God used to give me the insight on how I will come to this country, when God spoke to me in the year 1998, and I didn't know how I was going to leave Nigeria, my home country, the man that God used was a Jew. Came to spend only one month on one of our projects. I was a resident engineer, visiting the site back in Nigeria, and we finished a site meeting like this, and I've been looking at how I was going to fulfill what God said to me a year earlier. How will I do this? I started applying for jobs to companies like McDonald's, Black and Vh, big consulting companies that I knew in the UK that we had also done some business with, Montgomery Watson and so on. Because my company used to do some partnerships with international firms. So I knew those companies. I was applying to them, but none of them would They would just say, very good CV, but, you know, sorry, we can't take you now. And so I, I spoke to this man. His name is Gutmann Gadi. I understand he lives in Germany now. We've lost contact for many years. The Holy Spirit said to me, ask Gutmann how you can go abroad to practice. It was not part of a meeting. We had finished the side meeting. And I said, Gutmann, you know something? I want to leave Nigeria and to go abroad. He said, so what are you doing about it, David? I said, good man. I don't know. I've applied. I've applied. As many companies as I can apply to. I used to be very bold. I was just 28 years old. But I thought I commanded the whole world. (laughs) How can you apply from a place called Katsina, Nigeria to London for somebody to give you work? (laughs) You must have confidence. Anyway, he laughed at me. He said, don't you know that there are people in that same country? He said, yeah, you are qualified. But there are people there who are looking for the same jobs. How will they give you? I said, I don't know, but then something must happen, because I know I would need to practice abroad. And then he said to me, he said, you have a master's, don't you? I said, yes. I never, ever thought of it that way, never saw it that way. He said, you have a master's, don't you? I said, yes. He said, why don't you apply for a PhD? I said, a PhD? Really? I said, I don't need a PhD. He said, do you want to go abroad or not? I said, (laughs) "I yes, I do. He said, you need to apply for a PhD. You will get a PhD scholarship with what you have. I think you will get a PhD scholarship. And then after the three years, you can decide whether you want to practice there or come back home. You have enough time. And he gave me a link of a network of researchers. I'm still on that network till today, CNBR. He gave me CNBR, and he said, apply to these people. Or write, join this network and just put out your CV that you are interested in PhD studentship, that somebody that is a big network, somebody will contact you. In under two weeks, somebody contacted me from Australia. And then in about, that didn't work out because they were looking for funding. And to cut the long story short, the person that eventually gave me a studentship wrote on that thing, and I applied. And in six weeks, he gave me the appointment, no interview, nothing. And that's how I got a studentship to come to this country in the year 2000, almost 20 years ago. Companionship, inspiration. Goodman is Jewish. It's not our religion per se that brought us together. But the reality is that God used him. How many people have you ignored because you think that this does not matter? It has nothing to do with compromising your faith. But it has everything to do with the wisdom and the attention of God to be able to move when time comes. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, I close on that. He who walks with the wise shall himself be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Evaluate your companionships. The only companionship you are not allowed to leave because you can see what looks like foolishness is your marital companionship. That one, you have to pray out that foolishness. But if you have a friend, a business partner, or somebody who is becoming more foolish and he wants to pull you into their foolishness, don't wait to be destroyed. Don't wait to be destroyed. Keep seeking for fellowship and companionship with the wise, those who have the wisdom of God at work in them, and God will bless you abundantly. In the name of Jesus, you will Continue to march into restful increase. In the name of Jesus. This message, by the grace of God, as you pray, God will open your eyes to things that you ought to do, to take steps that will take you to your next levels. There are some people in your workplace now, you've been saying hi, hi to them, but God has prompted you once, twice, ask a question, whatever that question is. Don't hold back anymore. Ask it, because God has put an answer in them. God has put an answer in them. When you ask it, you will hear God's voice and you will never be.